Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy, as always, you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. Today on the show, we've got Erica Flora. She started her career as a microbiologist turned program manager, and she discovered a passion for improving how organizations manage the flow of work, deliver great products and services, and better serve their customers. In 2006, she and her husband founded Beyond 20, a digital transformation consulting and training firm based on ITL, DevOps, Agile, Lean, and other best practice frameworks. She works with leaders in global organizations as a digital strategy facilitator and a coach. And over the years, she has led several successful technology implementation initiatives and has helped organizations find more success with their digital transformation efforts. She's an avid blogger. She's a speaker. She's an advocate for of expanding opportunities for women and minorities in technology. She lives in Washington, D.C., calls it her home. And what I love about this conversation is that, number one, she's an introvert. And you know this is a, a great home for introverts. Introverts unite on Dose of Leadership. She's an introvert. She's uh, an entrepreneur, kind of fell into entrepreneurship. And like most entrepreneurs that you've heard on this show, at some point they realize that leadership is an imperative. It's something that is a non-negotiable that you have to learn how to do or understand and, and, and apply if you're going to be a sustainable business. So it was fun talking to her with her about that. It was fun talking with her about the power of project management and how that's a great stepping stone for leadership opportunities. I agree wholeheartedly. I spent a vast majority of my civilian corporate career in project management, and it gives you a great aspect and a great field of view, a big picture view of every aspect of the business, and it really does test your leadership muscle. So we talk about that. We also talk about her passion for improv comedy and how it was extremely uncomfortable for her. She took a comedy course so that she could get more comfortable with public speaking. And so it was fun to hear that part of the journey and how improv comedy really improved her leadership um, acumen, if you will. So just a great, fun conversation with a, a great entrepreneur, a great leader, Erica Flora. I was really, it was really great that she came on the show. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Equity Bank. They've been with me well over two years now, well over 50 episodes they have sponsored. And it's been an honor to have them sponsor Dose of Leadership episodes. It's a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been exciting to watch Equity Bank grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They're now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They got locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas, with plans to go well beyond that. Clearly, the team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. They understand entrepreneurs. They understand leadership. And if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, Go check them out. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. That's equitybank.com. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks, too, for subscribing, rating, reviewing this episode if you haven't done so. Spreading the word. Word of mouth does wonders for the show. We continue to be in the top 20 business management category podcasts in both Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and that's because of you. And so I appreciate those efforts, those word of mouth, those ratings, those reviews. It does wonders keeping us front and center. Thank you so much. Go to doseofleadership.com and let me know what you think about this episode and where you're at in your leadership journey. I answer every email. 
You can go Richard at doseofleadership.com or you can go to the contact form on doseofleadership.com and reach out to me that way. Again, thanks for tuning in. Now let's get on with this conversation with Erica Flora, the president and CEO of Beyond 20 here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Erica, I'm so excited to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Richard. Well, you got such a varied background. Um, I got a soft spot for IT. I've, I've managed. I was a computer science major, which is a blessing and a curse, I guess, because I got everywhere I went. I got I got labeled as the computer guy. Right? They assume I know everything and how to program and solve all the computer problems. But it's it's gone way past me. That was like the early '90s. They were still they still had a Fortran machine where you could put cards in. So anyway, I love to hear oh, wow. stories about I you know IT development and process improvement, project management. I know you're a PMP. That, uh, that project management was near and dear to my heart. Everywhere I've gone, that's what I've done. So anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, so tell me a little bit about your uh, your entrepreneurial journey and, and the company that you're at. Tell us about your company, how you started it, and why you started it. Yeah, so the journey actually starts, I think, a little earlier than that. Um, I actually have my master's degree in microbiology. Oh, my and- gosh. Yeah, so I left school and I went and worked as a microbiologist and I was like, this is terrible. What am I I going to do with my life? I don't want to be one for a long time. So I did that for about two years. And then uh, through some happy accidents, I ended up landing a job as a project manager. I I worked for a pharmaceutical company at the time Mm -hmm. and I was their first project manager. It was my first project management job. Yeah, it was amazing. So, So I spent nights and weekends just learning like, what is a project manager supposed mm-hmm. to be doing? And um, it was trial by fire. It was it was so awesome. Looking back, though, it was so awesome because I got to do all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. that like I just got to experiment and learn and try stuff. And they gave me they kind of gave me the reins to 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 fix a lot of stuff. And so um, I helped uh, revamp a lot of their processes. Mm-hmm. I helped with training. Um, we did a big tool implementation um, across the enterprise to to help with um, project management and collaboration and portfolio management ultimately because they wanted to have an understanding of when stuff was coming to market. And, and it was interesting because there were lots of different things. You know, now that we've got this vaccine coming out and, and actually I worked for Pfizer right. uh, for some realize all the the inner workings and all the things that have to happen seamlessly in terms of manufacturing and clinical trials and all this kind of stuff. And so we got to a point where we had, I think it was like 150 different schedules and different projects that were that were relying on one another. And so we built all these integrations and it was really, really cool. And I got to cut my teeth on ultimately what was a digital transformation at the time. We just didn't call it that, you know, it wasn't the buzzword. It was just, let's change how our organization works. And, and it was crazy and frenzied, but so much fun. And I got the bug uh, to do more of that. And so I, uh, I helped other organizations do similar things. And then, uh, yeah, kind of got sucked into IT as a result. And um, yeah, my husband and I ended up starting Beyond 20 about 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, we started out as, as process consultants. We helped organizations get better at what they do. Um, he came from a dot-com e-commerce environment. I came from a, a project management and, and process improvement environment. And um, yeah, we ended up combining forces and and 
One actually um, won a large contract with the federal government. The nice. first time we responded to an RFP, we won it, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> we got to, we, we got to now deliver this." That's, right. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, just you know, you just bump into these things, yeah. and and uh, and you just kind of go where where the opportunity takes you, and. Um, yeah, at the time we were, uh, it, it was to do a bunch of training across the Department of State. And at the time, you know, we started our company in Arizona and we were doing a lot of work on the West Coast. And then we ended up flying back and forth, gosh, like every couple of weeks or so the to DC. DC which is, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That wears you out. Yeah. And uh, and so we uh, we ended up opening an office in D.C. That's where I am today. And um and yeah, just the growth kind of happened organically. That's awesome. I you know, I love that story because well, it's project management is near and dear to my heart. And I always tell um, when people have asked me for advice, younger people, I think diving into project management is probably it doesn't get talked about a lot. I think you know everybody's like, oh, I want to be in uh, finance or operations or IT. But if you're in a project management role, I think it's it. it it forces you to be a jack of all trades, which sounds bad, but I mean, you, you really do have to tap into uh, skills that are transferable almost in any industry. And it gives you a, a broad brush view of the business that I think most people don't get if they're not in that role. And it taps into everything. It taps into the leadership side, the person, because you got to, you know, you got to, balance this and these departments and this and that and the bigger you get the bigger picture I guess is my thing and I'm big into that and I think as leaders and in working in a business and if you go in the entrepreneur route like you did you're always fighting for the bigger picture and that to me is a win and and this the PMP folks the project management folks that if you exercise those skills young I mean it can take you in so many different directions anyway that's kind of my plug for project management what how did that resonate with you yeah, I think for me, it was such a good foundation to mm -hmm. have, but I think it's, it's a foundation on which to springboard. And now looking back to that first opportunity, you're absolutely right. I had access to and interacted with all of the members of the yep. leadership team, mm -hmm. uh, all different departments throughout the organization, because it wasn't just, I wasn't just managing one project. I was helping manage the whole portfolio. Right. And so you learn to learn what to do and what not to do when interacting with your peers, those above you, those below you. And, and we, um, it also forced me to be creative because we yeah. didn't have a lot of the resources we needed. And so we're like, well, this has to be a success period. So how do we make it successful? So it was almost like bootstrapping. Uh, it taught me a lot of really good skills. Now I think project management, if we turn our brains off and, and just, um, think about, okay, it needs to be within scope and on time and within yeah, budget. Right. I think those are really good things you have to think about. I mean, you don't want to say it's going to cost a dollar and then it ends up costing a million dollars. And you don't want to say it's going to be a week long and it's it's five years long. But if those are your only gauges for success, I think that is a very limited way to think about it. Mm -hmm. You have to, at the end of the day, if it's not something that people 
find useful and it brings real value, um, then nobody's going to care if it was on time or on budget. So I think you have to be very pragmatic about it. And, and like I said, it's a springboard. So I think it's one of the tools in your toolbox, but learning about how to be, you know, more agile and, and some of the tool sets under that can also be really, really helpful. I agree with you. I, I, I think back to all in every job I had, well, even in the Marine Corps, even though my primary job was a pilot, you know, we had other duties and it was a lot of project management stuff. But particularly in the corporate arena, in the 17 years that I spent there, um, all of it was around, especially in the early stages, some sort of project management where I was touching everybody, like you said, and kind of the liaison and the bigger picture. And it really, it really exercised or really challenged me on to be the composed force in a chaotic situation. Because let's face it, I mean, business is chaotic. And those situations are chaotic. And on one hand, you, like you said, you've got the budget and the time constraints on one hand, and you've got, depending what the business is, like in, if it was Pfizer, I mean, you've got safety and quality control on the other, right? And sometimes there's, it's like two, it's almost like you got two uh, magnets imposing forces, right? Like on one hand, you've got the time and the budget and get it. And if you let it go one way, you know, you'll get it, if you get it, early and on time, it's not quality or it's not safe, right? Then you've got the engineers on the other side that would engineer it to death if given the time, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't have the time or the budget. And so it's like, you're that person in the middle trying to bring those magnets and they'll never meet, but you're trying to bring them as close as you can together. And that's how I always kind of envisioned myself. And it really exercised my negotiating skills, your creativity, right? And being mm -hmm. composed in a stressful situation. A lot of times I was the most calm guy in a, in a chaotic situation. And that's where I gained a lot of mileage from the project management as a springboard too. It gave me other opportunities because I was always the composed force. Didn't feel it that, you know, internally, but I, I certainly worked at being composed. I don't know. How does that, how does that, how do you respond when you hear that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's amazing. Kind of being the calm in the storm. Mm -hmm. um, you don't get innovative, creative answers when you're freaking out. Right. And there was something that you said on the Courageous Leadership Podcast that I thought was so interesting about this fallacy of control. Mm -hmm. And I like to say it's about having order, but not control. Like yeah, you I can't like control it. You can't micromanage people, but it's mm -hmm. order. How do we get to a place where we have some order and we have some consistency, but still allow innovation and creativity to happen? Yeah. And that order... I like to, to to build upon. I like what you said. Build upon that. That order kind of gives me some clarity around what the priorities are, right? And if I can, if I can be the composed force, if I can, by being composed, I create order, and by order, I create some clarity around what is really important, the priority, because it's overwhelming. Um, but if you can keep it in that composed, and it's like, what are we trying to accomplish here, right? And I like to equate like if it's an emergency in the in the aircraft, right? We're always working on being composed, right? It's always we never want to lose our bearing in an emergency, right? You do things orderly and composed. You may feel like mush on the inside, but then like, what's the objective here? What are we trying to do? Well, I'm trying to, and sometimes it's a moment by moment thing, right? Sometimes my objective here is just to get the plane right side up, right? And if you're thinking about, oh my God, we're all going to die. We got to land back in Newark and blah, blah, blah. You know, no, just focus on getting the plane turned right side up and fly the plane, right? Oh, that's a great analogy. Yeah. And then it's just, and then it's step by step. Okay, now I'm flying, right? And I'm not crashing. And everybody's worried about, oh, we're off our, off our track and we need to talk to people and blah. And it's like, stop, just focus, you know, fly the plane, take care of the problem, then communicate. And that's how I've always attacked 
project management, you know, it's like, yeah. and when people are running around with their hair on fire, I'm like, wait a second, what's the objective? Don't work, don't work the plan, work the objective, right? Cause the plan has now gone out the window, right? Work, yeah. work the objective. Yeah. I'm talking a lot here. Sorry. I just, you're getting me excited about all this stuff. (laughs) Well, you're getting me excited too, because, you know, pulling from, from your own experience, got me thinking about my own experience uh, with technology, because I came to technology, not having a degree in technology. My degree was in microbiology and, and internally I'm like science, how is science going to help me with any of this stuff? (laughs) And it wasn't until I started learning about agile and specifically um, this method or this framework rather they're called scrum, scrum yeah. where, um, and, and I got a chance to, to take some, some classes on doing scrum at scale. And, um, and turns out that the whole idea behind scrum came from the scientific method. Mm-hmm. And instead of like doing these huge projects where we don't understand anything and yet we're, we're, we've got this crystal ball of it. Oh, we know much money precisely when we know nothing about the project instead the better way to look at it and and this is my roots is that you have a hypothesis okay let's go test that hypothesis okay that spectacularly failed okay we're not going that direction Um, let's try another experiment and test that hypothesis and then move in that direction and that's really what it's saying that organizationally, that's what we need to do is test these things out, test a lot of things, fail a lot of times. That's just part of the process of learning. And then that will get us to the way we want to go. And I imagine that's the same in, in terms of flying a plane. Not that I have any expertise at all. Um, oh, I did. I did fly a glider many years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you kind of you pick where you're headed and then you make many adjustments as you're going. The same is true you know, in any sort of organization and rolling out new products and services and stuff like that, you got to test it all out. Yeah. I'm a big fan of scrum for that reason. Right. And a lot of times I see people who, it was always a thing that I battled in business when I was in the corporate arena, um, is getting people to understand kind of what you said, well, let's just pick an objective and let's see, let's just try something. I was big on like, okay, we've got 75% of the information. Let's pull the trigger and see what happens. Right. Let's see, let's test the hypothesis, if you will. And what I'm always was battling against is like just this kind of stagnation and this mediocrity because people just wanted they didn't they they didn't want seventy five percent of the information they wanted ninety five they wanted ninety nine percent and then you're just doing this uh, analysis by paralysis and I was like work the objective you know and we're not working an objective and we're wondering why we're behind the time and why we're you know over budget is because you're just sitting there grinding away and afraid to pull the trigger. So that's why I'm a big fan of Scrum too. Uh, I've got a few friends that are Scrum masters, and I like it. I the thing I, I'm curious about what you think about this is is um, to me I think it's it's a healthy combination of where you've got kind of the scientific methods, you've got Six Sigma, you got Scrum, you got Agile, all that kind of stuff. But you've got to combine that Venn diagram with the kind of the pragmatic leadership side of the stuff that's hard to, you know, those those less than tangible results that deal with the human side of it, the leadership side. Right. And I, and for me, it was like, if you could combine like that great pragmatic leader, who's really understands the human condition and then you apply scrum or agile or something like that. And that to me, I think that's a, that's a very powerful combination. I don't know. Sometimes I just think I see some of these like scrum and six Sigma, and they, they're so reliant on that process or the method, right? It's a tool to me, it's a tool. And sometimes people don't just see it as a tool 
where leadership is the driving force. I don't know. Maybe I'm all wrong, yeah. but what do you think about it? Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. And I've seen this happen so many times with our clients where they say, we want to go agile. That's the mm -hmm. goal. And it's like, no, that's not the goal. What are you trying to accomplish as exactly. an organization? What's your actual goal? Exactly. This is the way you get to your goal, but what's the goal? And, and I find it's, so um, rare that I get excited when I see leadership that says, here are our goals. Here's the vision. Here's the why we are yeah. and can communicate that out. That is such a, a valuable skill for leaders to have. The the how we do it, that will come along. But the the um, you said this in another um, podcast, the, the leadership intent. Mm -hmm. What's the intent of what we're trying to achieve? What matters to us as an organization? What are yeah. the things that we value? And then let's use some of these tools, whether it be Agile, Six Sigma. Uh, we have lots of clients that are using DevOps, uh, IT service management, whatever these, these leading practices are. And, and think of them as tools in the toolbox to accomplish the goal. But you got to start with the goal first. Don't start with the 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 tool well said and to me that, that maybe i'm just so used to because I, I preach it all the time but you're right it's it is rare uh people are, okay we're gonna <laughs> that because well because everybody sees like we're bringing in whatever you know and it's a lot of, it's a lot it's a very huge commitment both from time and financial resources to go agile to you know bring in and, and go scrum and change the culture to to believe in six sigma right and it takes a long time and it's a big culture thing. And so, but it's just an arrow and a quiver. That's what I always got to remind everybody, right? And you're, you're mm -hmm. exactly right. The, the goal is like, what are we trying to accomplish and why are we trying to do it? Where are we going and why are we going there? Where are we going? Why are we going there? And that should be coming from the senior leadership. And if it's not, then particularly the middle and below and those project managers, those people in the middle, they need to be asking that question. Well, why are we doing this? Where are we going? Because They'll throw grenades and get you off your plan. And instead of diving on the grenade or throwing it at somebody else, I'd, I'd rather see somebody calmly pick it up, put the pin in and say, where are we going with this? And why did you throw this grenade right now? <laughs> right? That's, that's where I think the value of project management or, or, or dealing all these things are. There are tools. Anyway, God, I feel like I'm just talking too much in this conversation. Normally I'm no, letting you. I love it. But I, this, I'm very passionate about project management and People, yeah. particularly people, I don't think they realize how much influence, particularly project managers or people that are in the middle of the organization. And even if it's a matrix organization where you don't, that PM, that project manager, the PME doesn't have any direct reports, but they're accountable for a lot of stuff. They have so much influence over the culture. And I, a lot of the project managers that I come across or even coach, they don't realize how much impact they, they have or influence they have is, is a better word. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're you're right, and and um, it's interesting as I was hearing you talk. The word manager it sticks out for me because I think a lot of us in organizations have been taught how to manage things, mm -hmm. how to create a plan, and come up with lots of details, but we haven't really been taught to lead. Yeah. And leadership is a whole different thing, and we need both. We need management, and we need leaders. But leaders is that's a skill that um, it's it 
takes training. It's not like, oh, you're just born a leader or you're not born a leader. It's a skill and it's a skill to develop and it takes time Mm -hmm. and it takes focus. And if you're going to transform your organization, you have to have leaders. I think that that's what a lot of these transformations are missing is we have people that can come up with a plan and can execute Mm -hmm. and things like that, but we don't have folks that are steering the ship or, you know, flying the plane and saying, this is the direction we're going. Here's why we're doing it. And let me get all this stuff out of your way so you can do it. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's you, you just encapsulated the message of even why we created this podcast, right? It's like, you know, we, we have these managements. You know, you can be a pretty effective manager. In fact, you can be really good. I've met some really efficient managers who are really piss poor leaders. They, you know what I mean? They, they really managed the things well, the processes well. Maybe they didn't manage the people so well, but they, they looked at people. It's because they looked at people more of as commodities or as cogs in a wheel, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of the downside of kind of the some of this scientific management theory, right? Is is it can, and that's why you need leaders. You need to look at it from a leadership lens because then if you look at it from a leadership lens and you realize that there aren't cogs in the wheel, these are human beings that, I mean, they're they're central to all of these, right? They're the ones that got to pull the arrow with all those tools, right? They're the ones that have got to mm-hmm. pull the quiver, the arrow. Or the bow. Um, oh, I lost. I had some other thought there. God, you got my mind racing because you just got me <laughs> thinking about all my experiences there. But one thing we said you know, in your background, I was reading about. Let's let's shift this because I'm, I'm very curious. And um, it said that you had taken an improv cl- or that in your spare time you like to do improv comedy. And you said in the pre-recording here when we were talking, getting to know each other a little bit, that you actually took a stand-up comedy class which led you to the improv and i'm like why in the world would somebody punish themselves and take a stand was it your dream to be a stand-up comic or what prompted you to take the stand-up comedy class so yeah it was actually when i was working as a project manager i saw this presentation of um actually i got attracted because i saw it i got an email i think of how to inject humor at the workplace. And I was like, I want to be humorous at the workplace. That sounds amazing. And I was blown away by the presentation. He And the gentleman was teaching a, um, a class at the local community college. And I was like, yeah, sign me up. And, and I knew it was a weakness that, um, I'm, I'm definitely an introvert. And so public mm-hmm. speaking just like absolutely terrified, terrified me, you, yeah. terrified me. And so I was like, well, we are ripping this bandaid off. We're going to do it. And it was, um, it was terrifying and stressful, uh, but so amazing. And one of the things that, um, that our instructor did is he would throw stuff at you and he'd say, okay, soldier, come up with a whole routine and you had to do it on the fly. And of course you're not going to succeed. You're just going right. to stammer and stuff. And, and he did that on purpose. So you could see what it felt like to bomb. <laughs> and it was so freeing when you're like, Oh, the worst that happens is they just look at you or they make faces. I mean, you know, in real life, they will also boo you, but you got it. You got an opportunity to see what that looked like. And it just was really cool. And, um, and so I did that and then, Never wanted to do that ever again <laughs> and um, and bumped into improv comedy, which um, I originally took a few years of speaking and, and training and teaching skills. And uh, it's such a different kind of comedy because instead of you and the audience, it's you with your team. And yeah. your whole job is to make everyone on your team look amazing. So you tee up jokes so that they can knock it out of the park and you find that there's so much more creativity in a group than there is in one person. 
that you know you think you think a, a scene is going one way and somebody says a line that is unbelievably hysterical and the audience is excited for you to to kind of they're on your side and they want you to all work together and what i found is that there's so many amazing lessons for leaders yeah. in taking improv you know thinking on your feet making your team look great um you know the collaboration that comes out of team creativity and helping be more of that facilitator rather than you know like we were talking before this command and control i'm going to control everything mm -hmm. and everyone when control is a complete fallacy but really trying to foster the the creativity of the team i love that and i'm a big fan of com comedians and and improv it's something obviously i've never done but I think I was telling you in the pre-recording, it's a, a bucket list. I would love to try improv comedy because it's so frightening. But I, I, because I, I, what you said about, I can see the benefits of, of, of doing it, like you said. Because I, I remember one time I was laying over in New York a few years ago in, in Manhattan, and um, I said I'm going to go to an improv comedy thing. And so I went to the one that, um, this the one that Amy Poehler from Saturday Night Live she started. Oh yeah, uh, from, up, sorry, upright citizens. Yeah, Brigade. upright. Yes. Yes. And so I, the tickets were sold out, but the guy that, that said, hey, but come back, we always, there's always like 20 people that don't show up. There, there's always about 20 tickets available. So if you go stand in line and get in line, you'll, you'll get in. And so I didn't have, I went and ate and I had nothing to do. And there was just one other guy in front of me. So I, I was second in line for waiting. So it was like an hour wait. And this, this kid, I say he's a kid, he was 25 you know, but I'm in my fifties, but he, he was, I'm like, we just started talking and he's like, man, I love improv. I want to, I want to do improv. I studied all the time. And he, so he was like, he wanted to be an improv comedian. Right. And so for an hour, he just educated me on the nuances of improv comedy, right? All the things you just what? said about, you know, it's your job to, to make them look good. It's never to say no. It's like if a premise comes up, no matter how crazy it is, you know, say yes to it. Right. And that is kind of counterintuitive to our who we are as human beings, right? You know, like you come to me, hey, Richard, I got a great idea. And I'm, my natural instinct is to say, no, I'm too busy or this, I, I'm not qualified or whatever, right? And improv is the opposite. You say yes to no matter what the crazy premise is, right? And I think that's, yeah. there's definitely some lessons there for leaders to, to do that. For right? sure. Yeah. So the whole yes and thing, uh, by saying yes to something and adding to the story, you open up this infinite world of, of possibilities. possibilities. And yeah. your interview with Simon Sinek, I think, was a nice um, kind of compliment to that, that there's infinite opportunities if we open ourselves up to that. And what I found uh, as a leader is that you're not saying, yes, we're going to do that idea. But you're saying yes to hearing them and hearing mm -hmm. them out like and that. saying, okay, well, how could we do this? Is this even a possibility? Because sometimes some of the dumbest, craziest ideas, well, seemingly dumb ideas can be really, really brilliant. And it takes a lot of ideas, good, bad, ugly, to get to like that one kernel that's awesome, that could be a really cool product or service or or whatever that is. So you you want there to be lots of ideas and not be like, oh, Gary, that was the worst idea ever. Why did you even mention that? <laughs> right, right. You know, because then Gary's never going to talk up, you ever know, he's not going to mention anything ever yeah. again. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of this special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by 
caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. That's such a great point. And I think it's particularly for young leaders or even I've coached some senior leaders on this is particularly when you get into very or positions of seeming responsibility where, you know, the globe of Atlas is just getting heavier and heavier, right? And you feel like the burdens of your, you know, it's so stressful and it's so lonely at the top. And you feel like you have to be the one that has all the answers. And that's what you just said, just kind of highlights the power of kind of having the, the yes and kind of mentality to improv. It's just like, yes, I hear what you're saying, Gary. And we could also <laughs> do this, right? You know, instead of shutting them down. I mean, there's so many, you don't have to have all the answers, I guess is my point, right? And it's just like an improv scene. If you try to do it all out there by yourself, you'd fail miserably or it'd go in a direction that might bomb. But if you've got four or five other, six other people up there with you, and they're throwing this crazy premise out there and you say yes to it. And then you add something else. And it just, like you said, you just, it starts to do this kind of exponential branch of where it could go. Right. Whereas if you just you said no, or you try to do it all yourself or had all the answers, it's just a single branch that eventually might, it might succeed, but more than likely it's going to, yeah. it's going to not grow to what its full potential is. Yeah. And it's going to keep us in mediocrity. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, um, what we did, so our leadership team, this was, I think, middle of last year, there were some areas where we needed to fundamentally transform what we did as an organization. There were two areas. And so we carved out a couple of days time to really sit down and, and, and talk and discuss strategically, like, what kind of company do we want to be in mm-hmm. three years? What kind of company do we want to be at the end of 2020? Which we then had to meet a few months later and be like, oh, crap, 2020 yeah, is not, turned out to be yeah. different than we thought and had to you know, reposition some things. But but what we really saw our goal, and I'm so proud of our team for stepping up to do this, is we said, here's the vision of where we're going to go. Here's where we think we really have a niche in the marketplace. Here are the things that we value as an organization. And these are the two areas in which we want to transform full stop. So we, um, we rolled that out to our teams. That's part of their, their weekly um, meetings is how are we making progress against those two goals. And I think it's really the, on us as leaders to say, here's what's important to us. Here's what's most important. Here's priority number one. Here's priority number two, priority number three. And you probably don't want many more priorities than that. But, but keeping that focus on that and saying, here's the vision. And then you guys you know, we're going to help facilitate your creativity to figure out the how, but this is where we're headed and here's why. I think if you can do that and and really hone those skills as a leader, your organization's going to do amazing things. Yeah, Erica, that's a secret sauce. I mean, everything you just described there is everything about 
what I meant about commander's intent, right? I mean, that is your primary function as an owner and the CEO of that company really is to maniacally, and I don't use that word lightly, maniacally communicate what you just said. I mean, and it's not just coming up with those three priorities that you came up with and, you know, you went through that exercise and then now you go to your graphics department or your marketing department and say, hey, print these up on these nice posters and hang them in the hallway and then that's it, which is what a lot of companies do. You have to integrate that message and those priorities in almost everything that you do. Like even just, yeah. if, even if I just bumped into you in the hall, somehow you've, you got to incorporate that somehow in our conversation, right? Even if I'm just mm-hmm. asking, you know, hey, how are your, how are your two dogs, right? And then. <laughs> They're great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> right. But then somewhere, right. Let me tell you about my mission. <laughs> that's right. My mission is this, right? Yeah. But that, but that just kind of highlights the importance of how difficult it can be, right? That it has to be top of mind, right? And it has to come in and up. It can't be goofier stage. It has to come from an authentic place, right? But and maybe it's the yes. way you ask somebody a question, right? Or like, how are we how are we on this? Where are you at with that? Right. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So um, a couple of thoughts that that came to mind, and of course they dumped out of my head as soon as I start talking. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm having the same problem you are. I'm getting so excited that I'm losing track of all the threads. Um, Oh, I know what it was that you have to be ready as a leader that it's not rainbows and unicorns. Mm -hmm. Like change sucks. And there's this whole thing called Cantor's law that there is a miserable middle and, uh, and everyone loves starting stuff and everyone loves the celebration at the end, but like the middle where you have the work, like that sucks. And as a leader, you have to be ready to be called out on behavior that is different than what you're telling people. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly been called out on stuff. Um, I also like to say yes to everything. And so ideas will come to me and I'll be like, yeah, or, you know, somebody will bring an idea and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then I've had other, um, leaders on my team go, is that one of our two things? I'm like, darn it, it's not. <laughs> and so there's, you have to be ready for that. And people will call you out in a public way too. And and we've created an environment where there, where folks will do that. And so we That's have great. to all keep one another's on, you know, honest. That, I, that makes me excited to hear that because it's nothing. And well, and even though it's, oh dang it, that should make you really happy. That would probably give me goosebumps if someone called me out. And like, and I've had that. But nothing made me happier when. Similar, same like, well, that's not what, you know, how does that jive with our objective, right? Or how does that, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm just getting excited. Yeah, thank you, right? Or, yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're hitting. The, you're it's hitting, humbling. It's humbling, it's very but, humbling. you know, it's well, necessary. <laughs> that's, it's necessary, right? Because it's life and death. And, they're, and, and it sounds like you've got your team understanding that they're, they're an integral part of the life and death of the company, right? And too often I feel like, frontline folks and the middle managers, they feel like, ah, oh, well, you know, Eric is a sociopath. She never, she just only cares about herself, <laughs> you know, right? And th- the first time I've heard that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. huh. But you know what I mean? This is that people have that kind of general tendency of like, oh, well, she's the owner. She's never going to listen to me. Right. And, um, and it sounds like you're doing the opposite, right? It sounds like you've, or it sounds like you, you at least want that you understand the power of having that culture where people feel it's not your right to challenge you. It's their obligation. Right. And yeah. that, yeah. that's great. I really love hearing that. We're all a team. Yeah. yeah. And, and the same is true with our customers. And I think that that pervades out into the projects that we work with, with our customers, because we're trying to do the same thing 
for those that we serve. Our mission is we're here to change work life. You know, whether that be we help with training so that your folks understand a best practice, like what it means to be agile or, mm-hmm. or, or to manage complex IT systems, like what, what all that stuff looks like. And we help equip people so that they aren't spending a lot of their work life. You know, it's not bleeding out into their home life because they've, you know, they're constantly fighting fires at work or, or it means we help automate tools so that they don't have all these manual processes that that they can do things efficiently um, or it, it means you know fixing their processes so that they have their customers have a, a seamless experience with them so I think yeah it's, it's it's what drives us internally but it also is is our mission to help other organizations do the same thing what do you as you've so you're um, beyond 20. 13 years old, basically, you said. Is there, um, I love process improvement, but is there something that you just consistently see time and time again over the, the, the past you know decade and a half that just always rears its head or has it changed somewhat due to technology and social media? In other words, is there is there always a process, you know, people just seem to always, like, is there a bread and butter, I guess, that you guys are constantly working on or, and have gotten really good at, does that make sense? Or is it different Uh, with every company? uh, Kind of. So um, I think with technology, technology changes, there's emerging technologies, there's all sorts of things, AI, AI ops, uh, blockchain, you know, all these things. And next year there will be new uh, emerging technologies. But I think there are things that, that will not change things like we need to serve our customers and our yeah. customers need to serve their customers. Um, and we need to provide things that are relevant and valuable. Like there's truths that will not change regardless of how the technology changes. And so that's, that's really where our sweet spot is. And we like to say we tackle the people, the process and the technologies and tools in that order because the people are what matter first. You got to fix that, you know, whatever issues you've got going on there, that needs to be tackled first. Then the processes that gives you a good foundation and then the technology tools. Now what most organizations yeah, they do go is to they technology, flip it. right? They do. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> totally, totally. And they're like, buy this tool, buy this tool, buy this tool. Let's implement it. It'll solve all of our problems. And then they're like, why isn't it solving all of our problems? It's like, have you attacked the people side of it? Do folks even understand? Um, you know, have you educated them? Are do you have folks in the right seats? You know, is your organization bureaucratically uh, opposed to what you're trying to do? Do you have good processes? Have you thought through the why you're doing this, how you're going to do this, who's going to manage it, how you're going to roll it out, how you're going to make it successful, how you're going to continue to educate folks? Have you figured out that stuff or have you just bought the tool? Because if you've just done that, you're going to fail and you're going to struggle. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you definitely, you're singing music to my ears. It would be so fun to work with your organization because you totally get that, right? I mean, it's the people first. It, it begs the question for me is like, at what point in your kind of career as you went from a microbiologist and started working for Pfizer and project management understanding, when did you, when did the leadership light bulb click on? In other words, everybody that I've talked to on this show, be it an entrepreneur or someone, a professional or a consultant or whoever it is, at some point in their life, they're like, oh, 
they were relying on the talent, the title, whatever, right? And at some point, they're like, okay, I got to figure this leadership stuff out. Now, that may not have been that explicit, you know, kind of aha moment. But at some point, the leadership light bulb turned on and said, I got to figure out people more than just, you know, be talented in this or get this title or get this certification. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think I've made every mistake in the book (laughs) (laughs) along the way. Uh, And I've been very technically, you know, technically trained. And and I think a lot, this happens to a lot of folks, you become a subject matter expert in, in something very technical, and then you rise to the ranks and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I'm I'm further removed from the technical side. My technical skills are atrophying and I don't understand this whole leading people and I don't really like people or talking to them and it doesn't make sense. And so I think there was a bit of that in my journey. Um, And as an entrepreneur, I think, I think it teaches you a lot of things because I remember thinking, or I remember back when I was a project manager, I used to make these like beautiful plans and have all this time to do all this, all these things that uh, as an entrepreneur, you're like, no, we need to survive. We need to stay in business and we need to make sure that we're delivering to our customers full stop. And so I think that that taught me a lot along the way. Um, But it's something organically that I started realizing as our company grew that Mm -hmm. it's not about just having more people in the organization. It's about we need to develop the skills of our team so that we can survive on a much larger scale. Um, And that's been really exciting. Actually, this year is just seeing our team's response to the pandemic because, you know, we we all have had to pivot um, overnight and, um, our team has just risen to the occasion. It's unbelievable. That's been the coolest thing to watch is, is to watch uh, folks um, rise up into, into not necessarily the leadership title, but, but acting like leaders. Yeah, no, that, that gets me excited too. It's like, it's, it sounds like you're creating an organization where everybody's thinking and acting like a leader. I love your answer to that. It just kind of happens where every entrepreneur I've talked to on the show, it's, has said something similar. It's just like, as we were building the business and I'm either stagnant, I'm not scaling. I got to figure this out. It's, you know, I can't do everything myself or it isn't just about the product, you know, and everybody gets so excited about the, the sexy side of entrepreneurship. Right. And, and at some point everybody kind of has this, uh, I got to become a pretty good leader too. the technical, yep. and te- the technical and tactical expertise, right. We all, we all, that's a given, right? You have to be good at something. And I think, you know, you got to get your degrees and your certifications or whatever to open up other doors and check in the blocks and all that other stuff. But at some point, that skill set that you talked about earlier in the beginning, it's a completely, it's recognizing that it's a completely different skill set that you, that there really isn't a lot of structure as a, there is as of getting your degree, your PMP, your certifications or whatever. It's just, it's, you got to dive in. And as an introvert, I'm an introvert too. And I, I, this subtext of this show is like a soft spot for introverts because everything that I talk about is to help that introvert become, uh, because it, that introversion or that fear, that introversion, I think it kept me from taking, I mean, I guess it was just part of the journey, but I just, at some point I just got comfortable with it and I saw the power of introversion, right? And in the beginning, I used to look at it as a weakness. And now I think some of the best leaders out there, 
maybe because I'm biased because I am one, but I think I see some really powerful leaders who are introverts, some very powerful leaders who are introverts. Um, and I don't know why that is necessarily at the moment, but and what are your thoughts when you hear me say that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things, um, introvert or, or extrovert, I also think it's a skill you can learn, but I've seen this a lot in introverts is the ability to really listen, yeah. to kind of listen and digest. And for us as an organization, uh, what I think has been our success and a skill we're really trying to, to further um, further ourselves in is really listening. So what we're, we've been doing this year is beefing up our relationship management skills and reaching out to customers, uh, you know, not necessarily on Zoom because you get really tired of on Zoom, but reaching out by phone, seeing how they are, asking them questions around, uh, you know, you can ask them things like, why are you using our products and services still? I mean, that's a really strange way to ask that. But like the customers that are using your products, asking needs and desires um, for customers that that aren't working with you, asking them, you know, questions around, you know, why that is and and how you can be better and what you can be doing, because that's really going to lead to organizational growth. Um, so I think for me, when you said introvert, I was like, it's about really, really digging in and listening understanding our customers as well as we understand our own organization. And I think that's also what entrepreneurs are good about doing. It's not so much working on the stuff that's like the cool tech gadgets and the stuff that's interesting, but the stuff that's impactful and the stuff that frankly we can sell um, and that folks are going to find useful. Yeah. I love that answer. You're absolutely right. I think the listing thing, you're right. If you can tap into that and the understanding, uh, which is so needed, but, and this isn't an, one is better than the other. I think there are times you need to be an extrovert and there's times you need to be an introvert. And in both, whatever your natural tendency is, you don't need to lock yourself in. You say, oh, I'm an introvert. I can't do X, Y. It's more like I'm an introvert, but I need to be able to do this too, right? There are sometimes you have to put on a hat that makes you, may not be comfortable, but you have to learn how to do it, right? You have mm -hmm. to learn how to do it. Great stuff. Do you get? To, are you practicing improv at all? On the going back to that, are you practice? Do you have like a group, and do you go there in DC and practice, or what? So I was until like right before the pandemic. Uh, yeah, I was like I kind of needed to take a break, um, but uh, I have taken several uh, Zoom improv classes. Oh, which that's fun. Kind of weird, um, but really fun because I think you have to further your, your skills, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. um, I'm constantly working on my own skills, soft skills, as well as technical skills. And, and training is, is something that I think is so interesting because we do quite a bit of training. That's one of the arms of our business. We, we have a training practice, we have a consulting practice, and then we also do software implementation. And when the pandemic hit, training got cut across the board um, from a lot of our clients because they're like, we need to stop the bleeding. We need to cut anything that's unnecessary. And training was like the first thing to go. And what I'm seeing is that training is really coming back because organizations are saying, okay, we've, we've kind of stopped the bleeding a bit. And the way we're going to get out of all this is to come back as a better, stronger, faster organization. And the way that we do that is to expose our staff to to new ideas, to help them make connections. And training is such a good way to do that. So 
So I have to, what is it, eat my own dog food and, <laughs> and make sure that I'm also stretching my skills and learning. So I took a few classes um, on improv for business and facilitation, uh, facilitation and games and, and um, helping with innovation and creativity and stuff like that. Um, so that's been awesome. And uh, I've also been reading just anything I can get my hands on uh, these days. And um, so that's kind of been feeding my own creativity as well. Awesome. Yeah, I, was, I always like asking people their personal habits. It sounds like you said you're being intentional about, you know, trying to improve your facilitation, speaking skills, doing the improv, your reading, anything else? Like, I mean, have you been intentional, particularly during this pandemic? Have you changed your personal habits? Are you, you know, what are Erica's personal habits on a daily basis? Or is it different every day? Uh, that's interesting. So I think there's new habits for us as an organization and there's new habits for me as Erica. Uh, I think I've been intentional about having a routine, um, a routine for uh, making sure I read a little bit every day. Um, it's escaping me the other things I want to do every day, but just doing a little bit at a time. And I think organizationally, we have to form good and better habits than we've got. Um, so some of the things that we do habitually, some of the things we've always been doing and some are, are new for this year um, is we, all of our teams have 15 minute huddles in the morning mm. and we talk about, okay, what did you accomplish yesterday? What are you going to accomplish today? Where are you stuck? Where do you need help? So that we're holding one another accountable and we're making progress. Um, our leadership team is in a habit that every week we get together and we talk through here's how we're doing, here's where we're headed towards these, these transformational goals. Um, here are the rocks that are super important to us. And I think either personally or, or organizationally, you have to have these, this discipline, this cadence of discipline. Otherwise, you will do it on a best efforts basis, yeah. which means you will never get it done. <laughs> well, you're hitting a lot of the things. I mean, this, this is what I love about this conversation. I mean, you, you've You've talked about intent. You just talked about intentionality there. Um, we've talked about introversion. We've talked about the power of project management and what it is. I mean, there's all the things that are near and dear to my heart. And it sounds like from an outsider looking in, as you're running beyond 20, this is an organization that understands the power of decentralization, understands the power of leadership, understands the importance of you as a leader to have a humble, teachable spirit at the same time, have this intensity around intentionality and constantly improving all the stuff that we highlight here in dose of leadership. I don't know. Did I, have I hit the mark on you and beyond 20? I mean, you guys sound like a great organization. I would love to work. There. I oh, think, I you. think it would be great. We are hiring. Oh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you any openings for a pilot? Is it? Personal uh, we are not flying so much these no. days. Yeah, <laughs> all of our stuff is remote right now, and yeah. it's it's going to be remote for a while. So, well, yeah. how, how can people learn more about you and Beyond Twenty and get in touch with you guys? I mean, you know, get a shout out to how we how people can get in touch with you. Yeah, so you can find us at beyond20.com. It's just beyond the word beyond and then two zero dot com. We've got um, a, a really cool blog there um, that has lots of free downloads, lots of free resources, tons of templates. So if you're starting or in the middle of your digital transformation journey and you just need uh, you know, a team to kind of bounce ideas off of or to help you in certain areas, whether it be people, process, or technology, um, yeah, you can reach out to us there. Um, what else? You can also see our list of training classes. We have, gosh, 
tons, <laughs> um, very dozens and dozens of, of really great certification and non-certification classes. And then we're also on all the social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, et cetera, Facebook. What does Beyond 20 mean? What's the meaning behind the name? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So, um, so there was a really cool research study done by Gartner uh, years ago where they looked at when mission critical systems and organizations fail, what that root cause was. And so it was kind of interesting and yet at the same time, not surprising that they found that only 20% of the time it was due to failure in hardware and software, but actually 80% of the time they were able to trace it back to failure on the people side and failure on the process side. And so that's really where our emphasis is, is fixing the people in the process stuff to make all the technology stuff work, you know, that much better. I love it. That's a great, I love that. That's perfect. I'm glad I asked that question because that really brings it home about <laughs> why. Yeah, that's great. Sounds like a great organization. You definitely get it, Erica. I mean, I gladly summon you a knight in the Dose of Leadership tribe. So uh, you definitely get you. all the concepts that we talk about here on the show. You sound like a great organization and you sound like um, someone who's definitely invested in leadership. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Awesome. And I do want to mention one other thing I totally forgot uh, is that we actually wrote, um, my team helped write uh, one of the books in the ITIL for library called Digital and IT Strategy. And it is awesome. You can get it at Amazon. Uh, it's published out of the UK by Axelos and the stationary office. So you can buy it at their sites um, as well as Amazon and, and also um, check out our, our website. We can we can also point you towards getting a copy of the book. It's, um, yeah, it's been a labor of love we've been working on for the last couple of years. And, and it actually came out, I think, a month ago. And what was interesting about it is we were still writing as the pandemic started oh, yeah. happening. And so we actually went back and wrote, rewrote a couple of the chapters to really talk about how do you survive in a volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world and, and survive it as a digital leader and help our team survive it. So um, Awesome. I'll yeah. make sure I'll have a link. Can, if, yeah. if people go to my post, <clears throat> I'll have a picture of the book and then a direct link to where you can buy it as well. So, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, we you, you mentioned that in the beginning. And I almost forgot all about that. But, yeah, Digital IT Strategy is the name of, of the book. Is that right? Yep. All right. Very cool. Erica, thanks for coming on the show. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it again. Thanks. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.